This podcast is presented to you by Pastor Derek Armstrong and Word of Grace Community Church. For more information, please visit WOGCC.com. Well, amen. I'm glad everybody's here today. Glad that you came out. Hope that you came expecting to hear something from God today, from His Word. And so we're going to continue on in our Roman series. We're going to be in chapter 14 today. And next week is going to be the last sermon in this series. Man, this is going to be a total of 16 sermons in this series. This is the longest series that I've ever preached. And man, it has been just a really just great thing to go through as a church. It has been a really great thing for me to go through as a pastor, just to research and study and prepare all these things. And I pray that you have grown in this series and in this teaching, and I pray that it has strengthened your foundation, pray that it strengthened your faith, and uh, just pray that uh, this has been uh, exactly what God uh, has had in store for you, and that uh, you're just growing through it. Before we get into the Word, I just have something that's on my heart that I just want to share before we get into the message this morning, and uh, I don't know how many of you saw the Christmas tree out in the foyer. Uh, but last night was our last family night for the year, and we're going to start back up at the first of the year with a different format of the family night, being more of a worship night and, and, and games and food and stuff like we have previously, but instead of teaching, we're just going to have a night of worship as well, so uh, the worship uh, team will be you know, uh, playing probably about you know, 30 uh, minutes or so of songs, we'll worship together, then we'll just have a great fellowship time that night, the first weekend of every month. We'll be talking more about that soon. But last night, as we were kind of wrapping up the year with our family night, our office manager, uh, Kayla Freitag, she had a great uh, idea that she came to me with on Friday. Uh, She said, hey, Pastor Derek, what do you think about if next year when we put up our Christmas tree, what if we did like a a big family night where we had like kids come together and we could have kids decorate ornaments and all that stuff and we could put them on the tree? And I said, Kayla, that's a great idea. Why don't we do it this year? And she said, oh, okay. And I said, yeah. I said, can can we make that happen? I said, I know it's kind of last minute, but it was such a good idea that I didn't want to pass it up. And she said, okay. So she and her husband, Eric, worked really hard to make it happen. And I just want to give them props and tell them thank you so much for making that happen. Um, Because it was such a fun time last night. We had kids making ornaments. Um, So every ornament on that tree, except for the candy canes, are custom ornaments that kids from Word of Grace made last night. And we're going to do that every year. We're going to put up a few more Christmas trees next year. So that way we can make it a big event and just do it annually. And maybe uh, if some of those ornaments, if they survive the year, then they'll be on the tree uh, next year too. So we'll see how all that goes. Um, But man, it was a lot of fun. So if you see glitter in different spots in the church or maybe some fake snowflakes or something, like what is going on? It's not like gold dust or anything like that. It's just something that a kid uh, may have dropped or may have gotten somewhere. And I love it. I absolutely love it. I love that she came up with that idea and love that we were able to execute on it that quickly and that she made that happen. Um, and, And the thing that really warm my heart about it was that it really reiterates in my mind and in my heart this sense of family that we have here at Word of Grace. Um, You know, even simple things like that. I mean, that's not the most overly spiritual thing in the world, letting kids decorate Christmas ornaments and put them out on the tree, but when you walk by it and you see it, you're like, 
Kids at Word of Grace made that. I don't know. It's just special to me. So when you go and look at it, just keep that in mind, just to create that sense of family here at Word of Grace. And I just love that. I just think it's really cool. Also, I want to encourage you to go uh, say hi to Pastor Andy after the service. And if you have any interest at all in Trek, we've been going through it as a staff. And let me tell you, at first, we were looking at it going, okay, how is this going to compare with things that we've seen that are similar to it or things that Pastor Andy himself had been involved in in the past that he knew was good quality? quality stuff. He wanted to know where it was at. So we said, well, let's just go through it first as a staff and just see what we think about it before we introduce it to the church. And if that's the route that we feel like we need to go. And at first it was good. And then the next week it got better. Or as we say in the South, it got gooder. And then it got gooder and gooder and it kept getting better. And it was so exciting. Now, Every week when we go to our class, we absolutely love it. And Pastor Andy's been teaching it and facilitating that. And man, it's going to be such a huge thing. It's been benefiting me personally. So whatever season you're in in life, I don't just want to carve out uh, that this would be just for a certain group of people. Man, this is for everybody. And it has impacted me a lot. And so if you're interested in it and you want to know more about it, Pastor Andy's going to be back in the corner right next to guest services on your way out this morning. Just stop and grab a brochure. If you have any questions, ask him. You can always go to the orientation uh, on January 15th. I mean, there's, there's no obligation to that. And he can probably answer even more questions, go into more detail. And he's going to show you a little bit about what a class would look like. It is awesome. Awesome, awesome stuff. And I'm so excited that we're going to be able to roll that out and introduce that at Word of Grace. And I'm just excited about what God is doing at our church, period. I cannot wait to be able to roll out some things in 2015 and share with you what God has dropped in my heart and where we're going as a church. It is just so, ah, just good stuff. Can't wait for it. But we're not going to do that today, even though I'm getting a little distracted. Uh, But we're going to go into the Word today. We're going to go to Romans chapter 14. Let's go to the Lord in prayer before we get into this Word today. God, I thank you for this day. Thank you for the opportunity to share your Word to your people. I pray that not just our heads would be engaged today, but I pray our hearts would be engaged. I pray you engage people at the heart level, at the core level, Lord, because that's truly where life change happens. And I pray that your Holy Spirit would make this relevant to every person in this room, regardless of what season of life they may be in or what's going on at home. I pray, Lord, that you would help make this word relevant as it sains through their filter, God, and that you can do what only you can do in their heart and in their life through the power of your word and the potential that it has to glorify God, to change our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, Romans chapter 14. If you um, are taking notes this morning, and uh, you can write down this title, an attitude of love. We've talked about all kinds of things throughout Romans. We've really established a foundation of being justified by faith. We've established a foundation of grace and an understanding of grace and the balance between uh, living and understanding grace, but yet also uh, growing in sanctification and understanding how our lives are called to be a reflection of God's glory and show the world Jesus. And then also we've talked about how even though we may be different and may have different ideas and values, that we can still come together in unity and we can still work together to show forth the love of God. And so let's keep in mind here that Paul is talking to the church in Rome. He's written this letter to them, and that church is made up of Jewish people, and it's made up of Roman citizens, both of whom are now Christians. So the 
unifying factor is not their ethnicity. The unifying factor is not the way that they were brought up or the values that they had and that they were raised with and the traditions that they kept. The unifying thing that they had together is Jesus Christ. And as we look at our world and as we look at the church today, we can see that for us to operate in the potential that God has given us to operate in as his church to bring him glory, it's going to best happen when we work together and walk together in a spirit of unity. And the main thing that is going to help us be unified is that we check our attitudes in how we connect with one another, both in the church family, both in the family of God, and in those who are not believers. How do we relate? How do we connect? What is our attitude supposed to be? And that attitude is one of love, and that's what we're going to talk about today, because our attitude is crucial. And what your attitude really does, and how that attitude is towards others, it really is showing how we have that relationship with Christ, our perception of Him. Because our attitude towards others in whom Christ died for, it says a lot about our relationship with Jesus. Because who did Jesus die for? The world. Everybody. Us. Everyone. Christ died for everyone. And so when we may want to segregate ourselves in our attitudes, in us getting this type of attitude of arrogance or judgmentalism towards others then we will oftentimes forget, I think, that Jesus died for them too. Doesn't the Bible say that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us? Doesn't the Bible say that he received us when we were unlovable? It wasn't when we got to a certain point in our life and he said, okay, now you're worthy to come to me. No, it's when we were at our lowest, when we were at our worst. And sometimes we as Christians can look at other people, both in the church and outside of the church, And we can have negative attitudes towards them. But that says a lot about our relationship with Jesus. It's really a reflection of how we see Christ. And it's a reflection of what we have received from Christ. Because we haven't received it just for ourselves, right? We've received it so we can give it. Amen? We've received forgiveness so we can give forgiveness. We've received love so we can give love. So we can be that transmitter, that conduit of the goodness of God. That's how our lives bring glory to God. But every one of us are walking around in this life with different glasses on. We've got different lenses that we view the world through, and our lenses or our perceptions that we view the world through are shaped by how we were raised up, by the type of environment that we were exposed to, by things that were okay in your home. You might have spent the night at a buddy's house growing up that they could do things that you weren't allowed to do, and so you always liked going over their house so you could watch that TV show or do that thing that you weren't allowed to do at your home. And then your mom found out about it later and you got in trouble. But the thing is, is that we have different values. So who's right? Who's right then if we're so different in our values or in our traditions because of our perspective, because of our lenses? Everyone wants to say, no, this is the way the church has to be. You have to stand up here, sit down here, do it this way. And if you don't do it this way, you're wrong. You have to sing this way. You have to dress this way. You have to act this way. And if you don't do it, you're wrong. And if you're going to be a Christian, you have to be this kind of Christian. You have to do things this way. And I have the market on how we need to do Christianity. And so if you just follow me and you look at me, then you'll know how to be a Christian. And that's not the case, folks. It's not that you're following me. You're following Jesus. Amen? It's not me-ianity. It's not Derek-ianity. It's Christ-ianity. Amen? That's kind of what we're doing here. We're following Jesus. 
So our relationship with Jesus is going to be a reflection of how we treat others and our attitude towards them. We don't read in the Bible to try to search and seek where God agrees with our thinking and go, hmm, let's see, I, I, I was raised up to think this way, now let's see if God agrees with me. Instead, we should allow God to guide and navigate the way we think, the way that we act, the way that we react, and that's through knowing Him. And when we look at Scripture, oftentimes the way that we perceive it based on whatever environment we were raised in, it may come across or look just a little bit different than someone else. Now, who's right? Because here's the thing that I've learned about the way we view the world. Our perception is not always reality. Our perception is not always truth. Your perception is not absolute definitive truth for everyone on the planet, is it? Because guess what? The different filters that all the information you've received in your life have gone through has been things like mama, grandma, church, your, your, your environment in your home or church culture that you've been raised in. None of which are perfect, by the way. I know you love your mama. I love mine too. But she's not perfect. And so all the things that I've heard, all the things that I've, that, that, that I've experienced or been exposed to, all these things have affected the way that I view the world. And one of the things that we talk about a lot in Trek is that our perceptions are not always reality. And the further away that my perception or my expectation is from what's absolute and what is true then the more potential that I have to be angrier or more fearful because I'm looking at the situation through my lenses instead of looking at it for what it is. Now, what is absolute truth? Absolute truth or reality is the Word of God. That's what keeps us grounded. That's the foundation that helps us to see God's heart and God's desire. But then God deals with us beyond those things that we can see plainly in Scripture on an individual basis. There are things that God will deal with you on that He's not dealing with me on right now. And there's things that God will deal with me on that He's not necessarily dealing with you. But I think oftentimes where we make the mistake is that when we treat others differently based off of those different things God is dealing with us on or those different interpretations that we have, we set ourselves up as an elitist who is missing the point of following Jesus. And what we will do is we'll build a fort around ourselves and we'll only invite people in who look like us, who affirm what we think, who smell like us, and we only surround ourselves with people who we're comfortable with. In other words, we'll just open up the shutter and go, what's the password? <laughs> and you can come inside if you know the password. If you look right, act this way, smell right, all those different things. And those are the only people oftentimes that we will associate with. And if we're not careful and we're not walking in an attitude of love that Christ had, we can become judgmental towards those who aren't in the fort. Those even in the family of God who may think differently or who may have different values. Maybe they mow their yard vertically and you mow yours at an angle. And you're like, I don't understand why they won't mow their yard the way I mow my yard. Don't they see everybody else? On our block, is mowing their yard this way. We kind of have an agreement. We're all going this way. And this guy wanted to do strips up and down. It drives me nuts every time I see it. And we get upset because someone is not like us in something that doesn't matter. Things that aren't heaven or hell issues, we get all in a tizzy about and we'll only surround ourselves with people that we're comfortable with and it isolates us from ever having an influence or an effect with the love of God. 
This is what Paul says about it. Romans 14 and verse 1. Receive one who is weak in the faith, but not to dispute over doubtful things. Stop right there. Amen. (laughs) We're not supposed to dispute over doubtful things. In other words, things that are non-essential heaven or hell issues, we're not going to be divisive over. Now, I'm going to stand my ground if it comes to believing that Christ is the only way to the Father. That's a non-negotiable cause. I can see that in the Word as an absolute. And so I'm going to stand my ground in, in, in my belief on that, but I can still have a good attitude towards someone who may not be a believer. Amen? That doesn't mean I have to disassociate myself with someone. You see, I'm not going to reject someone who is going to dispute over things. Verse 2. For one who believes that he may eat all things, and then there's one who is weak, he only eats vegetables. He's talking about eating customs for the Jewish people and then the eating customs for the Romans. Verse 3, let, let not him who eats despise him who doesn't eat, and let not him who does not eat judge him who eats, for God's received him. And who are you to judge another servant? To his own master, he stands or falls. Indeed, he will be made to stand. God is able to make him stand. One person esteems one day above another. Another one esteems every day alike. Let each be fully convinced in his own mind. He who observes the day observes it to the Lord. He who does not uh, observe the day to the Lord, he doesn't observe it. He who eats to the Lord, for he who gives God thanks. And he who does not eat to the Lord, he does not eat and gives God thanks. For none of us lives to himself, and no one dies to himself. For if we live, we live unto the Lord, and if we die, we die to the Lord. Therefore, whether we live or die, we're the Lord's. For to this end, Christ died and rose and lived again, that he might be the Lord of both the dead and the living. But why do you judge your brother? Or why do you show contempt for your brother? For we shall all stand before the judgment seat of Christ. For it is written, as I live, says the Lord, every knee will bow, every tongue shall confess to God. So then each of us shall give an account to himself to God. Therefore, let us not judge one another anymore, but resolve this, not to put a stumbling block or to cause to fall in our brother's way. I think Paul's kind of summing up something that we need to understand is that God has a big family. And I think that we're going to be surprised at who is in heaven. I think we're going to go, really? You made it? And then that person's going to look at us and go, really? You mean it? Because I think oftentimes we look at someone else and we want to speak to whether or not we think they're a Christian based on us, not on Scripture. And we want to go, well, I want to look at me as the standard. You see, here's something that will set you free if you think that way. God does not let you vote on who gets to go to heaven. There's not some list somewhere where you, with your partiality and your standard, gets to go through and decide. That is reserved for God and God alone. You see, we're not called to judge other people in light of our lifestyle. And that's what the Jews and the Romans were doing to one another. They said, well, you don't follow these eating customs. You must be wrong. You need to follow these things that I've grown up with. And the Roman is saying, well, I grew up not eating things that way, and I don't see in Scripture where God is telling me to do those things, so I'm not going to do that. Well, you should observe this day this way. Well, you should not observe this day this way. Neither are right and neither are wrong, because neither are issues that in the eternal perspective really matter. 
But then here he's saying, we also need to be careful not to let our brother stumble too. So let's keep on reading. Romans 14 and verse 14. He says, I know and I'm convinced by the Lord Jesus there's nothing unclean of itself. But to him who considers anything to be unclean, to him it is unclean. Yet if your brother is grieved because of your food, you're no longer walking in love. Don't destroy with food the one whom Christ died for. Therefore, don't let your good be spoken of as evil. For the kingdom of God is not eating and drinking, but it's righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. For he who serves Christ in these things is acceptable to God and approved by men. Therefore, let us pursue the things which make for peace and the things by which one may edify one another. Don't destroy the work of God for the sake of food. All things indeed are pure, but it is evil for the man who eats with offense. Is it good to eat meat, nor drink wine, nor do anything by which your brother stumbles, or is offended, or is made weak? Do you have faith? Have it to yourself before God. Happy is the one who does not condemn himself in what he approves. But he who doubts, he's condemned if he eats, because he does not eat from faith. For whatever is not from faith is sin. And we see here that Paul is trying to help us understand that we need to focus on what is important instead of being divisive over someone being like me. We need to look at the authority of the Word of God and see what does God say? What has He said? And if God is not saying that in the Scripture, then we don't need to be divisive over those things. I remember when I was a teenager, one of my big hang-ups as a teenager was music. All right? It was something that was a stumbling block for me. It was something that I was just obsessed with, and it was something that negatively affected my emotions and my attitudes, all right? I was really sensitive towards music. And, and, and because of that, when I was a teenager, I felt like God wanted me to stay away from any type of music that was not Christian in nature and edifying. And so I stayed away from anything that was non-Christian. The mistake that I made, however, was in my zealous pursuit of God, I thought that I had cornered the market on something and everybody else needed to be just like me in that area. And so as a young uh, a teenage youth pastor, when I was 18 years old, I condemned over and over any music that was not Christian. And I would tell everybody how bad that they were for listening to that. And how can you call yourself a Christian and you listen to this? And I would just whack people over the head with that type of teaching. And really what I was trying to do at the core was I was trying to control a behavior in someone else by telling them you should be like me. That's at my core what I was doing. Now there is no scripture in the Bible that says thou shalt only listen to Christian music. But I thought I had reached some level of nirvana or superiority in my walk as a Christian by not listening to nirvana. <laughs> See what I did there? See what I did there? I thought I had reached some level of superiority to where I could tell everybody, you need to be like me because this is wrong for me. And it was. Had I listened to secular, non-Christian music during that time in my life, I would have been sinning, according to the Scripture, because I was deeply convicted about that, and it was something God was leading me away from for a time in my life, until I was more mature and not able to allow those things to negatively affect my moods and my mind and my emotion. Now, am I vindicating us listening to things that are going to poison our minds and are going to influence negatively? No, absolutely not. You're missing the point if that's what you're thinking here. Today, what I'm saying is that if God is leading you to do something, 
that that doesn't make it the standard for everyone else because you're not the standard and I'm not the standard. Jesus is the standard. Amen? Nowhere in the Bible does it say, try to be more like this person or that person. It says, no, try to be like Jesus. He's the standard. He's the one that sets the pace. He's the one that shows us how to love. He's the one that shows us how we should live our lives. And anything beyond that are these doubtful things, these eating customs, these things that we see. We need to make sure we're being led and guided by truth, by principle, by the Holy Spirit. And that's what's going to help us to walk in true freedom instead of trying to judge everybody because I do or don't do this. Paul said it himself. He said, the kingdom of heaven is not eating and drinking. I remember I, I was, that, that same church that I was a youth pastor at, my pastor was deeply convicted about going to the movie theater. He thought it was wrong for himself. He just couldn't do it. Matter of fact, he even went to the extreme to say, that I feel like so convicted about this that if I went to the movie theater and Jesus came back, I wouldn't go. I wouldn't get to go to heaven if Jesus came back. And I was, that's how deep that conviction was in his, in his mind. And where did that come from? Well, that may have come from the filter of tradition he grew up in or certain teaching that he grew up hearing, or maybe it was something that God was just wanting him to stay away from for that season or whatever the case may be. But the thing I appreciated about him is that he never condemned me for going myself. He, he never condemned me for doing that because he wasn't trying to pass off his conviction to me to tell me that he was the standard of Christianity. He did, and he understood that. He was mature enough to understand that. And so I want us to understand that, you know, when we see things in the Bible, we have to look what, first and foremost, what does God say? And what is he saying to me? How does he want me to work out my salvation before him with fear and trembling? People do this in church all the time. They think church has to be a certain way and you have to do it this way. The pastor has to dress this way and, and, and things have to go in this type of a format. There is no format in the Bible for the way things go. It's just tradition. Amen? You don't have to stand up or sit down at a certain time if you don't want to. You don't have to always have this at this place at every time. That's just our tradition. And too many times we make tradition sacred instead of making relationship with Christ sacred. And when we worship tradition above relationship, that's when we get into man-made religion that offers no hope and it only offers a guide of do's and don'ts and it's not attractive because it's not showing forth the love of God. It's showing forth oppression, manipulation, and control. Because I am not the standard. This way is not the way it always has to be done. I need to look to God. See, what, do I, and what am I supposed to do in order to bring glory to Him? Not this church is right and the church down the street is wrong. Do we believe in Jesus? That's the really important thing. Amen? Amen. Not the style of worship music that we play. That's why there's so many different churches. Some people like having a band. Some people like a pipe organ. All those things. Some people have that. Some people don't. And it's not about everybody having everything for everyone in one place. That's why there's so many differences. And that's okay. As long as we don't allow ourselves to become judgmental in our hearts and our attitudes towards those who are not like us. Amen? You see, one person celebrates the freedom that they have in Christ. Because of Jesus, we're free. We are free, and he who the Son sets free is free indeed. Amen? But then Paul says, even though you're free, should we sin that grace should abound? He said, no, certainly not. We shouldn't sin that 
Grace would abound. That's not the purpose. That's not going to bring glory to God. It's not freedom. It's not a liberty or a license to go and do whatever I want to do because the thing that's navigating me is not do this, don't do this. The thing that's navigating me is love. Love navigates. Love is going to help lead me to where I need to be. Some people different, have, have different ideas of the way that things should go. When they, when they live their lifestyle, the way they cut their grass, the way they dress, the way they raise their kids, how they allocate their money. And for us to say that you have to do it this way and you have to be just like this, if there's no authority on it in Scripture, who are we to judge someone based on our personal preference? We have to be careful of this in the church. We have to be careful not to isolate ourselves from people who may think or act in certain situations differently than we do. I play a board game, and I really like this board game. It's called Settlers of Catan. Maybe you've heard of it. If you play this board game, you're going to know what I'm talking about when you understand this game leads to marriage counseling sessions. (laughs) Now, this game, this game, I love the game too, but the louder you laugh, the more they know who you are. (laughs) The thing about the Settlers of Catan is, is that there's this character in the game known as the robber every time a seven is rolled on the dice the robber comes into play and you get to steal cards from another player in the game and it always makes people mad because you're sitting there trying to strategically just get this thing done and you're about to build this settlement you're about to build something you're so excited because you got all the right cards to trade in to build this and here comes that stupid seven and you know they're gunning for you and sure enough your wife picks up the robber and puts it on your stuff so she can steal the card that you've been holding on to. But here's the thing. When I play Settlers of Catan, there's two different types of people that I play with. (laughs) Type 1. When the 7 is rolled for the first time, they say, ah, let's let 7 be rolled three different times before the robber comes into play so we can all build the cards up and we don't want to immediately already start stealing from each other. Let's just play that way. And then there's those people. Those people, and you know who you are, those people that say, no, you have to follow the rules, because the rules are the first time that the seven is rolled, we have to play it this way, and we've got to do it this way, chop, 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 And then there's those people that are like, ah, let's just wait a little while. And I played with both people. Some people are pretty intense about sticking to that rule. And some people are like, ah, let's make our own rule, let's just do it this way, let's, let, let's play it this way. Now, which one is the right way to play? Well, the people who grew up with the tradition, because the way I was introduced to the game was the people who taught me how to play, taught me the three-row rule before the robber comes into play. I didn't even know that there was the other thing about it's supposed to automatically be in play. It's just a game. It doesn't really matter in the grand scheme of things. So we can, you know, make our own custom rule. You ever play Monopoly? And you put money in the middle, and when you land on Park Place or, 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 or free parking, whoever, you know, who, whoever lands on free parking gets it, that's not in the rules. People just make that up. It's fun. They, they do that. But then you have those people that are sticklers for the rules that freak out. <laughs> and here's the thing. Which one is right? Which, which way is the, the, the right way to play? Well, it depends on what your value is there. You see, we get so upset over silly things. Some people are sticklers for that kind of stuff. And the point is, is that our perspective and our traditions are not to be pushed on others as truth. Because that is being judgmental when we think people are wrong because they're not like us. When we treat them as unlovable because they're not like us. Because they don't follow the rules like we follow the rules. Well, then you can't play with me. I can't associate with you. 
Let me tell you, folks, that's not the attitude of Christ. Did Christ associate with people who were not like him? Yeah. Sat down and had lunch with a prostitute and, uh, and, and, and a thief and liars and people who were ostracized from society. The lowlights. He actually sat and ate with them. And the religious people looked and said, who's this guy who everyone is saying is the Messiah, saying is the Son of God, and he's sitting and eating with those people. Because their attitudes were those of elitists. I can't associate with those people. You can't come in my fort. You don't know the password. You can't play because you don't play by my rules. It's the same thing that we do today if we're not careful. And when we do that, we're not showing the world the love of God. We're showing them the fact that they don't belong. When that's not how Christ did. And that's what Paul is trying to help the Romans to understand. And that's what I believe the Holy Spirit is trying to help us to understand today. You see, we think people are wrong when they don't vote like us, when they don't spend their money like us, when they don't keep their home the way that we keep our home, when they don't dress like us, when they don't worship the style we worship uh, in, when they don't talk like us. And we come up with this idea that being a Christian means be like me. We become so judgmental based on our traditions we grew up with instead of allowing God, His Word, and the Holy Spirit to lead us and guide us into all truth. Because, well, well, well if, if, if I don't try to change them and make them like me, then how are they ever going to know? Let me tell you how they're going to know. A heart that longs for Jesus is going to be a heart that chases after his truth, and he's going to lead them and guide them by his Holy Spirit into all truth. Amen? I'm going to say that again. I know it's on the screen, but I'm going to say it again. A heart that longs for Jesus chases after truth. A heart that longs for Him. And so, wouldn't it be better if instead of us trying to regulate rules and do's and don'ts to everyone on the planet, instead, wouldn't it be better just to keep pointing them to Jesus? And the more we point them to Jesus, Jesus is going to lead them and guide them into His perfect truth and change their heart? Because that's the level that really needs to be engaged and changed anyway, is the heart level. We've got more information on the planet than ever before. You want to talk about engaging people at a head level? Man, we've got all the tools to do it more than ever before in the world. I can give you more information about anything you want to know. I was playing a game this weekend and I got stuck at a certain point. I get online and figure out how to get past it. I couldn't do that before. You had to go spend 20 bucks on a strategy guide. Who wants to do that? Just Google it. Just YouTube it. Somebody has videotaped themselves doing the same thing you're doing, and they show you how to do it. It's ridiculous. Information is not our problem. People know Jesus died for them. People know God is a God of love. The problem is is that they haven't received it in their heart. And may I submit to you that the reason that they potentially have not received it in their heart is because the church has missed the point, being judgmental instead of showing them that type of love that's going to engage them and point them to Jesus. Been so worried trying to make people like us so they can run in our circles and be accepted. Let me tell you something. If somebody's doing something because of you, then they're doing it for the wrong reason. That's called manipulation and control. And you're actually imposing the fear of man on them to live to please you. If they're doing it because God told them to, that's a sign of Christian maturity. There's a difference. There's a difference. 
Christian maturity is not all the things that I have overcome. Christian maturity is am I listening to God's voice and obeying Him and allowing Him to lead my steps and guide me into all truth. Because if my heart really is for Jesus, then He's going to lead me into all truth. And my life is going to reflect that. You see, a heart that longs for Jesus chases after His truth. Well, what about godly living, Pastor? Let me tell you something. Godly living is the fruit of knowing Jesus, not the pathway. i got to think about that for a minute. I was like looking for some gum in my wife's purse. Hang on a second. Say that again. Okay, I will. (laughs) Godly living is the fruit of knowing Him, not the pathway to knowing Him. In other words, we get caught up in, in, in religion, we get caught up in tradition, thinking that we have to do certain things in order for Him to accept us so we can know Him. But that's not the path to Christ. What is the path to Jesus? Faith. Amen? The justified ones, Romans 1 and 17, those who are just are actually going to live by faith. So I already know him. I already have relationship. And the more I pursue him and the more I get to know him, just like you do with your natural friends here on earth, the more time you spend together, the more that certain things that you do and values that you have begin to reflect one another because it's God leading me and he's engaging me at the heart level and the fruit of knowing him as a godly lifestyle. And there may be certain things that you stay away from or that you engage in or that you do that may look different. I remember as a young uh, minister, when I first started in ministry, I hired at a church at 18 years old. Man, every time I say that, it just sounds weird. Because Now that I'm in a position to be able to hire someone, I definitely don't think about 18-year-olds. <laughs> but thank God that somebody took a chance, that somebody took a, stepped out in faith and said, yeah, I feel like this is the guy that's supposed to be in the youth pastor position. I thank God for that first experience. But you know... As a young minister, when I was 18 years old, I would go to these church conferences and hear about these other youth pastors and the things they would do. And when I began to measure myself up against them, I began to feel like a failure because they did this and this and their youth group was busting a thousand kids and they had all night intercessory prayer where they would pray for 24 hours straight and all their kids would fast and then the youth pastors cried out to God every morning for a year would wake up at three in the morning and pray all through the morning and then would just pray all through the night I'm going man I'm really not doing a good job because I thought I had to be like them now was what they were doing good sure absolutely But if they did that and found success in that, it was because they were following God, not because following a formula. You see, we want to formulize everything, put it in a can when we see something that works for somebody else and go, oh, I want some too. Tell me how you did that. And then we try to replicate it when we fail and we go, huh, well, I must not be as good as that person then. No, they were following God and and God was telling them what to do and ordering their steps and you need to do the same. I need to do the same. Instead of trying to mirror what someone else has done, sure, I can learn principles and I can learn things from them, but for me to try to mirror what God has told someone else to do would be failure, would be foolishness. That's why people get all caught up in different programs and things. When they start working, oh, this church has this program and they do really well with it, it's great, why don't we do that here? Well, God hasn't told us to do that, that's why. God told them to do that, that's why it's successful. Because we could try to do the same thing someone else was doing that they found success in it and we fall flat on our face and we go, oh, well, we must not be as good as them. No, they're being who God's telling them to be and we need to be who God's telling us to be, amen? 
You see, we can be a lot more comfortable and confident in that because we're not competing here with another church. We're not competing with other Christians to see who can out-spiritualize one another. I got more gold stars than you. That's not how this thing works. Let all you do be done in love. We need to understand that love is more important than any freedom that we may have personally. Love is the thing that He's called us to guide our attitudes and our actions towards one another. Love is more important than personal freedom. So in other words, just because we're free in Jesus, don't let your personal freedom become a stumbling block for your brothers or sisters in Christ. That's what he said here in Romans 14 and verse 21. He said, it's, it's good neither to eat meat or drink wine or do anything which your brother stumbles or is offended by or made weak. Do you have faith? Have it to yourself before God. Happy is he who does not condemn himself and what he approves. But he who doubts is condemned if he eats because he does not eat from faith. For whatever's from, not from faith is sin. Don't let your personal freedom become a stumbling block from your brothers or sisters in Christ. I want to make everybody real comfortable for a minute. So I want to talk about alcohol. Okay? I can tell you're already comfortable. All right. Good. That's where I want you. All right. The Bible does not call drinking alcohol a sin. But however, it does condemn and call a sin the sin of drunkenness. That's over and over in the Bible. There's no debating that. We're not here to argue whether or not drunkenness is a sin. Because it takes you out of the driver's seat of your decision making. How about that? (laughs) It's not a good thing to do. Drunkenness is the sin, but not drinking alcohol. Now... If I have a friend, however, who is a recovering alcoholic, and I go to lunch with him, and I order a drink, then what am I doing? I'm positioning myself to be a stumbling block for my friend. And here's what love does. This is why love is more important than personal freedom. Love for my friend, who is a recovering alcoholic, would limit, would choose to limit my freedom that I have in order so my friend won't stumble. Does that make sense? So in other words, I'm going, you know what? I'm going to choose not to do this because I know that this is a stumbling block for my friend. So I'm going to be more private about my personal freedom because I don't want my friend to stumble because I love him more than I love the drink. That doesn't mean that I can't enjoy the drink, but it means that when I'm with my friend, I need to make sure that I don't put temptation in front of him. Even though I have personal freedom and liberty in this area, I'm going to navigate it with maturity and freedom. Amen? And that's what I think that we need to understand. I am free, yes, in Jesus. But I'm also free to limit the things that I do in order not to cause my brother to fall. I'm free to limit myself. I'm free to choose to put boundaries in my life that are going to be healthy. Freedom doesn't just mean do whatever you want. Freedom means navigating with love to make sure God is glorified through my life. Now, if I'm personally convicted about, my, about something, my violation of my convictions would be a sin. That's what Paul just said. If I'm personally convicted about something, then my, me violating that would be a sin to me. Here's the thing. I'm going to tell you a little bit about myself personally. I personally, this is me, this is Pastor Derek, okay? Me personally, even though the Bible does not condemn drinking alcohol, I don't drink. If you offer it to me, I'm going to politely refuse it. I have my reasons, and I believe that my reasons are from God. Now, here's the thing. If I, I cannot be personally okay with me drinking alcohol. However, I'm perfectly comfortable 
going out to eat with you and having an alcoholic beverage. If you want to take me to Buffalo Wild Wings, just open. <laughs> I don't know. Tis the season to be jolly. Fa la 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 la. You can take me out to eat for Christmas. That'd be okay. I'd be okay with that. Let's go check it out. Let's go get some wings, some A's and Zing. That's what's up. So if we want to do that and you want to order a drink, that's fine if you have the freedom to do that. I want to challenge you, though. However, if you and I go out to eat and you would normally have the freedom to drink, but then you don't want to drink because I'm there, then what does that say? What does that say about your, 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 your walk with God here? Is, is it truly a freedom that you have? You know, just like I had a buddy who loved OU football. He loved Oklahoma Sooners so much. I mean, he was passionate about the Sooners. He was so passionate about it that his car horn had been converted to the fight song of OU. So when he pressed his horn, it went... And that's what his car horn did. And God told my buddy Sean to fast football completely for a season. So he took the car horn off, everything. Took the whole thing off because it had become an idol to him. Now, did that mean that everyone who went to an OU game that year was a sinner? No. Maybe depending on who you're a fan of. <laughs> that did not make everyone who went to an OU game a sinner. Did it? No, of course it didn't. That would be ridiculous. But was it something that God had personally convicted him about? Yes. Now, where Sean would have been wrong would have been if he tried to get everyone to do what he had done and said that that's God. No, that's what God was personally leading him into. And because of my love for him, I wouldn't say, Hey, Sean, you want to come over and we'll watch OU? Or if he's over, I'm going to be respectful of that. Because I know that that's something that God is leading him and told him to do. That's me loving him. That's me preferring him. So here's the thing. I'm perfectly comfortable going out to eat with someone and them ordering alcoholic beverage. It doesn't bother me a bit. It's not my job to make my convictions yours because neither one of us have a biblical basis. Now, if you want to get tipsy and drunk, then I can have a conversation with you and have some Bible verses. I, I can. But if you just want to go out and order a drink, I, I can't. But me personally, I, I'm not going to do it. But here's the thing. Just because I don't and you would, does it make me better than you? Let that sink in for just a minute because some of you had a hard time with that. It doesn't make me holier than you, and just because you do and I don't, doesn't make you holier than me. It doesn't. There's nothing in Scripture that would prove that or that would say that. And I would be wrong for teaching that way. If I look at the liberties that we have as Christians and the things that we can do, I just need to understand that everything I do is to be done in love. My convictions don't make me holier than you and vice versa. I mean, here's the thing. We're not trying to make other people like us. We're trying to grow together to be like Jesus. We need to remember that, folks, that it's all about Jesus. Amen? That's why the Bible is not a rule book of a bunch of do's and don'ts that people want to make it out to be. If they think that's what it is, they're missing the point. Does the Bible have things that you should and shouldn't do in it? Yeah, absolutely, because God has our best interest at heart, and he's wanting us to be navigated through life in a way that's going to bring him glory. But the purpose of the Bible is not to tell you what you should and shouldn't do. The purpose of the Bible is to reveal Jesus Christ, the Savior of the world, to mankind. You can look from the beginning all the way to the end. In the beginning where we see that everything was perfect and man was in fellowship with God. And then we see how man fell and rejected and rebelled against God. 
And we see how man tried to save himself and tried to be good enough to earn God's love and tried to earn relationship back with God and couldn't do it, even if we tried to meet God's standard, which we realized we couldn't meet, which showed us our sinful state and how disconnected truly we were from God and how dead and connected, disconnected we truly were from Him. And then Jesus comes in humility, wrapped in swaddling clothes, lying in a manger, and lives this perfect, sinless life, showing us the heart of God for mankind, and then takes the very problem that you and I had that disconnected us from God, taking that sin burden on Himself, and now through faith in Him, we can now be a part of the family of God. And then the Bible then tells the story about how we're supposed to be evangelizing and spreading the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ and showing the world the love of God, because one day He's coming back in all of His glory, and we're going to be one with Him in heaven. And we see that throughout the Scripture. That's the story of the Bible. It's all about Jesus. Amen? Now, are there things that navigate us and help us in our lives? Absolutely. But the purpose is Jesus. Let's keep reading Romans 15 and verse 1. We then, who are strong, ought to bear with the scruples of the weak and not please ourselves. Let each of us please his neighbor for his good, leading to edification. For even Christ did not please himself, but it's written... The reproaches of those who reproached you fell on me. For whatever things were written before were written for our learning, that we through patience and comfort of the Scriptures might have hope. Now may the God of patience and comfort grant you to be like-minded towards one another according to Jesus Christ. Notice he's talking about unity here. He said, may the God of patience and comfort grant you to be like-minded towards one another according to Christ Jesus. In other words, Christ is what unifies us that you may with one mind and one mouth glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, receive one another just as Christ received us. Stop right there. Receive one another as Christ received us. How did Christ receive us? When we were sinners. While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. It said, receive one another like Christ received you. In other words, what condition you and I were in before we received Christ That's how we're supposed to receive other people. And if we look at the example of Jesus, and if we see the life of Jesus, we see that he received people who were at their lowest points, who seemed like they had it all together, and those who were obviously had a lot of things that were falling apart. He received people right where they were. That's the power of the love of Christ. And the reason for it, what did he say? He said, said, um, just as Christ has received us, we need to receive one another to the glory of God. Verse 8, now I say that Jesus Christ has become a servant to the circumcision for the truth of God. What's he talking about there, the circumcision to the truth of God? He's talking about the Jewish people. That was uh, the Jewish uh, covenant custom of circumcision, and he's referring to the Jews when he's talking about to those who are of the circumcision. So he said here that Jesus was a servant to the Jewish people to confirm the promise made to the fathers. And then also that the Gentiles might glorify God. So not only has Jesus come for the Jewish people, but he said, but also for the Gentiles. So it would confirm what has been written. For this reason, I'll confess to you among Gentiles and sing to your name. And again, he says, rejoice, O Gentiles, with his people. And again, praise the Lord, all you Gentiles. Laud him, all you people. And again, Isaiah says, there shall be a root of Jesse, and he who shall rise to reign over the Gentiles, in him the Gentiles shall hope. Verse 13. Now may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing that you may abound in hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. I think what he's driving home here is love and unity. And what love is, is it's louder than what I can or what I cannot do. 
Because love speaks not to what I can do, not to what I could do, but love speaks louder because it speaks to what I should do. That's how we're to bring glory to God. Amen? You see, I choose not to gratify my sinful nature, even though I live in grace. Even though I live under this covenant of grace that I have with God. That instead of Him giving me what I deserve, what I earned, He gives me grace instead. I don't earn, earn forgiveness. I don't deserve forgiveness. None of us do. We can't ever get to a place where we say, I'm good enough and I deserve this. No, I don't deserve forgiveness. But He gives it to me anyway. That's His grace. And even though I live under that grace, I don't want to live my life intentionally gratifying myself. Because I can choose to pursue Him and follow His truth. I can choose Him and He changes my heart. You see, even though Paul said that we live under grace, he said, should we sin that grace should abound? He said, certainly not. We, it's not that we have this, 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 this just free card to do whatever we want to do and so we're just going to go do it just because. I remember as a kid, I was thinking, man, I can sin now, ask for forgiveness later. I remember making a lot of decisions. That was my value system. I want to go gratify my flesh and do what I want to do, even though I know it's wrong, because God will forgive me. And guess what? That's true. He will forgive you, even when you knowingly violate Him. Because that's called a transgression. When we transgress against someone, it's when we willingly and knowingly are aware of what we're doing. It's not like a, whoops, I sinned. It's a, I'm planning on doing this. I premeditated this. I'm going to do it, and then I'm going to come to God. He was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement that he took that brought me peace, that chastisement was on him when it should have been on me. And the Bible says that by those stripes that he took on his back, I'm healed, I'm made whole. Amen? That's the power of the gospel. That's the power of what Jesus did. But that's not the purpose of what he did, so I can just go do whatever I want to do. If I think that's it, man, I am missing it. You see, I can choose to walk in love. And when I do, when I walk in love and I pursue relationship with God and I get to know Him more, then I begin to think the way He wants me to think. I begin to live the way He wants me to live in a way that's going to bring Him glory. He begins to deal with me on things in my life because this is a personal relationship. This is not some robotic system that we're just trying to blanket everyone with and get everyone to try to act better and do better. Where everyone acts and does everything exactly the same. No, the thing that brings us together is Jesus Christ. And you may, you may dress a certain way. You may raise your kids a certain way. Maybe I don't like the way you raise your kids. Maybe you think I need to do a better job with mine. That's not your business. It, it, it's not. Because here's the thing. When I'm growing in my walk with God, and I'm living the way that He wants me to live and I'm letting Him guide my steps, and when it comes to the way that I raise my children, if there's things that you allow your children to do that I don't, it's not my job to try to get you to be like me. It's my job to do what God is convicting me of, to tell me what to do. That's why I homeschool my kids. I'm not going to get up here and say, everyone who doesn't homeschool their kids is bad and they're all going to hell. That'd be wrong. That's a personal conviction I have about the way I'm raising my children, and I have my reasons, and I believe they're from God. I don't think those are for everybody. Believe me, there's some people I know do not homeschool your children. <laughs> That's a bad joke. I'm sorry. I was seriously joking. 
Don't get offended. If you do, forgive me. Word of grace. But you know, the thing is, is that that's just a personal conviction that I have of the way that I'm raising my children. Maybe you agree with it, maybe you don't. Guess what? That's not between me and you. That's between me and God. Because he's given me the responsibility for those children. Amen? And I felt like that's something he wanted us to do as a family. That doesn't mean everyone should do it. It doesn't. I don't believe everyone should do it. It was just something that I felt passionate about, and I never thought I would, honestly. So the thing is, is not that everyone's trying to be like me. It's, it's just, I keep moving forward in love because I have to give an account. I have to stand before Jesus and give an account to what he told me to do. I've had people tell me, God wanted me to stay away from caffeinated beverages or stay away from, you know, TV that's ruling my life or certain forms of entertainment that are, or sports or whatever. Don't go out and preach that to the whole world and try to make everybody like you. You follow that. Follow that because if you violate that, guess what? It's sin. And I think sometimes we try to pile stuff on top of those convictions that we feel, hoping that they go away. Because we're feeling this scratching on the inside of us going, oh, I know I need to stay away from this, or I know I need to start doing this. And we try to make that voice go away. Pastor Andy's been mad at me for the past few weeks because I lost my trek book. So when we have our trek class, he's like, where's your book? And I'm like, I don't know. And he's like, you know, back when I did life skills, that if you didn't bring your book, we kicked you out of the class. And I'm like, oh, don't kick me out of the class. I'm the pastor. <laughs> and just yesterday... I was moving some laundry, and guess what I found under the pile of laundry? My trek book. I found my trek book, Pastor Andy. It'll be back. And I began to think, you know, how much is that like our lives where we allow stuff to get piled on, that voice of the Holy Spirit, and we try to distract ourselves from Him leading and guiding us into something or away from something? And we think that if we just pile stuff on it, that we won't hear him anymore. And I believe that today, through this word, that he's taken those layers off, and he's beginning to let some of those things bubble to the surface again. And you know what those things are. And you need to deal with those things. Don't, don't lose it again. Don't try to pile stuff back on it. Deal with it now, because he's trying to lead you and guide you into all truth, so that your life can glorify God. You see, I'm going to be judged on how I love how I follow His voice, and how I obey what He tells me to do. When we stand before the Father, I'm not going to be judged on sin because Jesus took care of that problem. When, 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 when the enemy wants to try to accuse the brethren at the judgment seat of Christ, I'm going to say, I overcame by the blood of the Lamb and the word of my testimony. Jesus took care of the sin problem. So what am I going to be judged on then if it's not sin? I'm not going to get to heaven and God's going to say, well, you remember, you know, on December, you know, this, you told a lie. and you, did, you know. He's not going to go through a laundry list of all the bad deeds that we did here on earth and hope that the good deeds we did outweigh the bad. No, the Bible says in Matthew 25 and 31 in the parable of the sheep and the goats that we're going to be judged on what we did sharing the love of God and giving, using the gift and the talents that He enabled us to do to share His love and His truth with the world. Because He said that there are going to be two different kinds of people standing before Him on Judgment Day. And He said people are going to be like the sheep and the goats. He said, and then I'm going to say... You came and you visited me while I was sick and I was in prison. When I was a stranger, you, you, you came and, and, and you comforted me. You did these things. You, you fed me when I was hungry. You clothed me when I was naked. When I didn't have a place to stay, you, you, you gave me a place to stay. 
And, and, and he's going to say to those, they're going to go, huh, when did we do that? When, when did we see you hungry or naked and, and we give you something to eat or give you something to wear? When, when did we see that? Jesus said, as much as you've done it to the least of my brethren, so you've done it unto me. And then he's going to turn to the goats on his left and he's going to say, and what about you guys? You didn't do this. this and they, Lord, if we would have known it was you, we totally would have done it. When, when did we ever see you naked? When did we ever see you hungry? When did we ever see you a stranger or in prison or sick? And Jesus is going to say, as much as you haven't done it unto the least of my brethren, so you have not done it unto me. You see, that's what we're going to be judged on, is how we love. It's how we love. That's why I let everything we do be done in love. That's the weight of the love of Christ that's supposed to guide and navigate our lives. Our attitude towards others in whom Christ died for says a lot about our relationship with Jesus. Who are you loving? Who are you accepting? Who are you comfortable with? I want to challenge you this week to think about the following. Number one, is there certain personal freedom that you walk in that would cause other people to stumble? Is there a certain personal freedom, something you're okay with, but it would cause other people to stumble in your life or it is currently causing them to stumble? Ask yourself, should I change that? I'm challenging you. I'm not telling you what to do. I'm just asking you to evaluate, okay? Should I change that? Does God want me to evaluate my expression of freedom because maybe it's causing someone in my life to stumble or maybe I'm not realizing it's something that he has moved all the laundry off of and I'm seeing it again and I'm going... I forgot about that. I thought I had let that go, but God, that's still there, and you're still wanting me to deal with that? Is there a way I could navigate that with a greater degree of maturity that would honor God? Maybe instead of me posting pictures on Facebook about me enjoying all the freedoms and liberty that I do, I use a little bit more wisdom and maturity to be able to navigate something so I don't cause someone else to stumble? Because everyone's always looking for justification for what they do. And if they can get enough people to agree with them, then they feel better about it. Does that make it right? No. Stop seeking justification and start following the voice of God, not the voice of man's approval. It's a different sermon for a different day. Sign of spiritual maturity would be following God, not following the fact that your buddies are okay with it and that everybody validates the way that you say or do things. Or that you got 200 likes on Facebook because of some rant you went on. That doesn't make your rant justified. People on Facebook don't have a clue what they're doing most of the time. Unless they're posting awesome pictures of cats with guitars. <laughs> Number two. What personal hindrances do I have that cause me to avoid, or that, that condemn or avoid others? What hindrances do I have that have caused me to condemn or avoid other people? Are my... Are my attitudes towards those people or things God's attitude? I mean, are my attitudes God's attitude towards those people? Maybe things that have caused me to condemn or avoid other people? Why do I feel that way? Why have I been condemning or judging or avoiding those people? What's that saying about my relationship with Christ? I want you to evaluate that. The third thing, I want you to allow the Bible and the Holy Spirit to be your guide. Because He's going to lead you and guide you into all truth. And He can be trusted. Amen? And last but certainly not least, let all that you do be done in love. We're going to celebrate that expression of love, the ultimate expression of love. Before we go, we're going to receive communion as a church family. Thank you for listening. For more information, please visit wogcc.com.